Welcome to Writing Wrongs here at Hudgel Solicitors, where we discuss the legal issues many people may have to deal with in their lives. Today, we're looking at how we support clients whose health and well-being has suffered due to errors and delays in their medical treatment when visiting an accident and emergency department. I'm joined by Elizabeth Maliarkel, one of our leading clinical negligence solicitors. Welcome, Elizabeth. There were 25 million visits to A&E departments in England last year. That's four million more than the year before. That's right, Keith. We know that attendances in A&E departments are rising, as are the waiting times to be seen. Um, and we know that this is happening at a time when staffing levels are under pressure and hospital wards are full, which often means that patients that attend A&E that require admission to hospital um, are having their admissions delayed. Well, many people will be seen in good time and their treatment will often be outstanding. But in your many years of experience in medical negligence cases, what can, on occasions, go wrong in A&E? Well, very sadly, lots of things can and do go wrong in A&E departments across the country. Um, I have seen cases where the patient should have been reviewed by a senior doctor in A&E, but sadly wasn't. I've seen cases where there was a delay or a failure to reach the correct diagnosis. Uh, we've also seen cases where the patient was discharged from A&E when actually they should have been admitted into hospital. We've also seen cases where there was a failure by the A&E doctors to follow the correct protocols and guidelines relevant to that particular patient at the time. Well, it, I mean, if delays happen in diagnosing an illness, an injury or a medical condition, the consequences can be serious. Yes, they can, Keith. Um, delays or failures to diagnose um, a condition and then arrange the appropriate treatment can cause the outcome to be much worse. It can cause um, significant disability. And sadly, in some cases, it can even lead to death. Elizabeth, when it comes to mistakes being made in A&E departments, what are the most common that a patient will experience? There are several areas um, of concerns that are raised by patients in respect to their experience in A&E. Um, one that we often see is a failure to admit into hospital. So a patient will go into A&E with a health condition and will be discharged from A&E and sent home. Um, rather than being admitted into hospital and reviewed and seen by the correct specialist team. And occasionally people are not seen by the correct experts either. That's right. Patients sometimes go to A&E and are reviewed by junior doctors. And we do see cases where junior doctors have not referred the patient to a senior colleague, a senior doctor in A&E, alternatively to alternative specialists in A&E, for example, arranging for the patient to be seen by a stroke physician or a cardiologist or an orthopaedic surgeon, which are some of the examples we see. And as a consequence, they may not be correctly diagnosed. That's right. One of the common areas that we see in claims against accident and emergency departments across the country is a failure to diagnose the correct condition. Um, there's often a number of reasons for that. It's um, often due to, we've just talked about a failure by um, the patient to be seen by the correct type of doctor within A&E. It can be due to a failure to undertake the correct type of imaging or the imaging or scans not being reported correctly. It can be due to a failure to take the correct history from the patient. Um, so there's several reasons why a, there can be a failure to diagnose. And when you talk about imaging, what, you really, what you're saying is an x-ray wasn't taken. Simple as that. It can be an x-ray, you're right, Keith, but it can also be other types of imaging, CT scans, MRI scans, ultrasound scans, accident emergency departments up and down the country have access to all forms of imaging 
Um, so, so it's not just the x-rays, it could be other types of scans as well. And an important question you should be asked in A&E is simply why you're there as well. That's right. Um, any patient attending A&E is usually triaged. Um, and so an assessment is made on, on, on arriving at A&E as to the, the level of seriousness and um, brief information is taken on, on the nature of the symptoms. So, yes, um, a detailed history has to be taken from the patient. And the patient's not if it's not possible for the patient to provide that history, then from the family or whoever's come with them to A&E. All A&Es across the country will have a standard set of guidelines that they should be following. That's right, Keith. There are some national guidelines which apply to all accident and emergency departments across the country, but very often individual trusts will have their own guidelines as well, specific to that particular trust. The common areas where we see guidelines are in respect of patients presenting to A&Es with cardiac or chest pain, patients presented to A&E with stroke or potential stroke, um, and patients presented to A&E with head injury. So we often see cases where despite the fact that guidelines exist either nationally or locally, that there's been a failure to follow those guidelines, which has resulted in harm being caused to patients. And let's assume then a patient is eventually discharged from A&E and not been admitted to hospital. They should also be given advice when they're discharged. It's what we call um, an inverted comma safety netting. So anybody being discharged from A&E should be given follow-up advice, whether that's Here's a prescription that you should collect and take, whether it's you need to take this letter and go back and see your GP, whether it's we've arranged an outpatient clinic appointment for you to see a particular specialist. But more importantly, what to do if those symptoms don't abate or they get or, this, or they get worse, what to do in those circumstances. And we often see cases where that advice has not been given. And so people have not known what to do if things stay the same or get worse. And serious injury has come as a result. People, families will want answers as to what exactly went wrong. I mean, if someone is listening and they or a loved one has experienced any of the situations we've talked about, can legal advice be helpful? It can, yes. Um, if anybody does have concerns about whether the treatment they received from an A&E was um, correct or not, they can raise their concerns with the hospital um, through the complaints procedure and ask for an explanation and an answer to their questions. Um, patients can also approach a solicitor for legal advice on whether the concerns that they have about the care they received in A&E um, justifies a legal investigation by the solicitor. Um, and what we also say to clients who call us about cases such as this is that it is important to seek legal advice um, promptly, if possible, because there are time limits for bringing claims. And it's important that patients seek advice from specialist solicitors as well. Well, it, it, if there was a strong case for medical negligence, how would you or how would Hudgel solicitors be able to support a client through initially an investigation, I suppose? Yes, the, the first thing we do in all of our um, investigations is to obtain a full set of the patient's medical records. We then more often than not get medical experts who are independent to review the treatment provided and to give us their own views as to whether the care received was substandard or negligent. Um, if it was, then we advance the case to the hospital solicitors. Um, and if the hospital solicitors admit liability, we then seek compensation or damages for our client to help them with their recovery and their rehabilitation. Not everyone will be motivated by compensation necessarily. Some people will just want answers to what went wrong. But nevertheless, 
compensation can be very important, life-changing in some cases. That's right, Keith. Um, a lot of our clients, as you rightly say, are not just motivated by seeking damages for their injuries. They also want to ensure that what happened to them doesn't happen to anybody else. They want the healthcare provider to learn from their mistakes and to ensure that those mistakes are not repeated. But also, as you say, the compensation is often much needed, vital source of, of funding their needs, for example, AIDS, adaptations, care. Um, so it is important to them, yes. And many people would have would have had to give up, given up work, possibly. Quite possibly. We often find that um, people who've received um, poor A&E care have had to give up their jobs. They're, if, if they're retired, they may not be able to do the things that they used to enjoy doing. They may not be able to live independently. So, yes, it can be life-changing for them and their families. How have you supported clients over the years with their medical negligence cases as a result of their treatment at an A&E department? We provide support in lots of ways. We provide emotional support for a lot of our clients. Bringing The thought of bringing a claim and actually bringing a claim is, is quite a daunting prospect. So we, we spend time with them, we speak to them on the phone, we visit them at home if we need to, and explain to them in words that they can understand what the claims process is about and help them through the litigation that way. So as well as emotional support, we can also provide and arrange for practical support. Once we have an admission of liability, we can ask for an interim payment, which is a payment upfront of damages whilst the case is still being investigated. And we can help them use those damages to, to fund rehabilitation, for example, or even accommodation costs, or to pay for carers. So that's the more practical side of the help that we give. We can also often refer them to other agencies for support as well, if they need it. If someone is listening and they feel like they've been affected by the issues that we've been talking about, and they want to get in touch for legal advice, will they have to pay? The vast majority of our cases are on a no-win, no-fee basis. And what that means is if, the, if, if we are unsuccessful, there is no cost to the client at all. Elizabeth Maliarkel, our expert lawyer in medical negligence claims here at Hudgel Solicitors. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Writing Wrongs. And if you need further information regarding any medical negligence issue, head to our website, hudgelsolicitors.co.uk.